Hi everyone, Dr. Axe here. I'd like to introduce you to the new co-host of our show, Dr. Christopher Motley. Dr. Motley is an expert in traditional Chinese medicine, nutritional therapy, herbal remedies, and functional medicine analysis. He runs a virtual clinic where he cares for people from around the world and is the go-to physician for many celebrities. Dr. Motley is a dear friend of mine, and he, you know, he's the type of doctor that I trust my own family with, and I hope you enjoy his wisdom and his wonderful questions as he interviews today's guest on our show. Hey friends, Dr. Motley here. Welcome to the Dr. Josh X podcast. I welcome my first time meeting good friend, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She is an expert in neurology. She's a neuroscientist. She researches. She helps people all around the world with how they can help their anxiety, their depression, and their mood. She has written many books, especially how you think, the toxic emotions in your life, what can make you think down? What can make you feel anxious? And she gives you practical, simple ways, even though they're complicated in their steps, but simple aspects of how you can heal your anxiety and your depression. So welcome, Dr. Carolyn Lee. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be joining you. And actually, I think this is the second time I've been on Josh's podcast now. The third time, I'm not sure, but I'm very honored. So thank you so much. Well, uh, we... This is the first time I met you, and I remember reading your book about toxic emotion. Who switched off my brain? Oh, and I got. <laughs> I know, but remember the first one when I read it was, I mean, about seven eight years ago. I think one of my friends' wife had had issues with depression, and she told me, "She says, have you read Doctor Leaf's book?" And I said, "No." What was it about? And she showed me the book, and the beauty of it was all the graphics and the explanations that took something so unique and intricate and you made it and you just formatted out to where people could read it and understand it. And I love the way you talked about neurotransmitters, how they're broken down, how they're recycled, how it affects anxiety. And I, first of all, for those of you who may not know Dr. Leaf, many of you already do, I sort of like to do a recap though. Doc, how did, um, when you first got into neuroscience, like what brought you into this? Like what was your passion to bring you into neurology? That's a good, it's a great question. And it started 38 years ago. I've been in the field for a long time and I, I just was always fascinated fascinated with the mind-brain, the mind-brain connection, the impact of mind on brain. How does it all work? What are thoughts, memories? And I was going to um, become a neurosurgeon. I got into medicine and I started doing that. And then I wanted to work more, not just with dealing with people's brains on the table. I wanted to actually deal with, you know, more the mind stuff. And I also wasn't terribly keen on just the pure psychological approach. So I wanted to combine the field. So I ended up doing a very interesting degree that really challenged. It was the early days of neuroscience. And I did, we did part medicine and we did part all these mind theories and communication. It was amazing. They don't even have that degree anymore because it was a combination degree. And they it was they tested it out on a few um, a few groups of students but there was it was so it was such an intense training that people were dropping out like flies and only mm. a few was qualified it was just it was just too intense because you, you work seven days a week for four years it was a seven-year degree pushed into four years and and at the time I remember thinking why am I doing this this is insane it's so much work but now you know I look back and see if I didn't have that grounding I would never have done what I've done now and I wouldn't have the view I've got now because I haven't got stuck mm -hmm. in a pure medical model I haven't got stuck in a pure psychological model because they really are very different I've got a blend of the two and it's enabled me to be able to see the mind-brain connection and then I had a neuroscience lecture that really challenged me and was going on about how the brain can't change. Now, this was in the 80s. Now, I know we know the brain can change, but that was only from the late, the early 90s. And I was did some of the first neuroplasticity research in my field back in the 80s and 90s, where my neuroscience professor actually said that the question I asked, which was, can the mind change the brain, was mm -hmm. a ridiculous question. And that, that was all the challenge I needed. This professor just said, no, the brain can't change. And I said, but it must be able to change because the mind 
mind is changing all the time. So, so basically we worked out, okay, we'll work with traumatic brain injured population. It's the most challenging population, one of the most. There was very little research on that back in the late 80s. And it was all of the brain could change. And so I dived into that and that set me on a field 38 years later. I haven't stopped researching, but I saw with people that had been written off by the world of medicine go from literally being vegetables into getting degrees. And it didn't happen just once, getting back to work, changing their life, getting back to school. It was so it was happening so much. And what I was doing was helping people manage their mind and understand their mind and use their mind to drive changes in the brain. So mind-directed neuroplasticity. And that is essentially what I've written about all these years. I practiced for 25 years. I've done this field. I've been doing clinical trials and research now for 38 years. I spent a good 10 years in the field, nose diving into the field, into war-torn Rwanda and throughout apartheid South Africa, in the wealthiest of the wealthy areas, poorest of the poor, across different cultures, to try and understand um, hands-on what mind is and what are thoughts and so on. So all of that now I bring to the table with my books and, and systems that I've developed on the whole mind-brain connection. So that's kind of a quick walk through my history. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, that is an impressive uh, history. When we talk about neuroplasticity, for those out there that when they want to know about how the brain changes, so you're saying that neuroplasticity is how the brain can actually change like its shape or its size to actually accommodate changes in their lives. So you're teaching people how to actually change the shape, the programming of their brain. Right. Absolutely. The, you, your brain is never the same from moment to moment. It's changing. So just by us having this discussion now, the brain is changing. It's completely malleable and it com constantly adapts according to what's activating it. And what activates the brain is the mind. So the, the brain mind connection, it's two separate things. They're separate, but inseparable. And it's key to understanding how we function as humans and mental mm -hmm. health. Mm. It's absolutely critical to understand that difference. So yes, neuroplasticity um, is how the brain is changed by the mind. So we often yes. hear this, often hear that the brain can change itself or the brain changes itself. The brain can't change itself because if you did, the brain's doing nothing. The fact that you're alive, it's you as a person experiencing life through the brain, mind through the brain. So mind is how we experience life and it moves through the brain, the brain responds. And that's key. When we get a handle on that, then we get the hope that's needed when it comes to the things that happen to us in our life, the adverse circumstances, the traumas that make us feel so stuck and that there is hope to change that and to unpack that. So the, the, the medical model, which is very much about brain, 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 it's very neurocentric. Um, mm -hmm. It's excellent, all the studying we have, about, knowledge we have about the brain, but we can't say that the brain made me do it because the brain can't make you do anything. It's, it's mm -hmm. very, very complex material, but it is still not a, it's, it can't do anything. It's got to be switched on. It's like we talk about oh. genes can't self, um, they can't self-activate. Genes have to be activated. They have to be switched oh. on. Same with your brain. Your brain has to be activated. And when people get that, that's when the shift occurs because then you can start driving that change. That is amazing. So when I love the way you discuss in your book about how the mind, there's an energy behind the, you know, a bioenergy behind the mind. And is some individuals can get confused when they talk about, they'll just try to interplay. They'll say, well, the mind's the brain or the yes. brain's the mind. And I love the way you discuss in your book, how the mind drives the brain. So in a simple terminology for those listening, would you say like the mind is in a sense, like a, uh, your higher people use this loosely, I guess, but higher conscious, or is it like your experiences, your thoughts coming in to drive the brain? How, how would you explain it? Like in a simple that way? Really, it's one of the most, it's considered as you would know, the, the, the hard, the complex question of science or the hard question of science, what is consciousness? And it's been the, the, the sort of field of philosophers. And it's one of those questions that they have many conferences about and it's really important but at the end of the day what they're trying to do is find a neurobiological correlate so in essence let's go to the simple version i've got a, a little model over here and for those of you that are just listening i'm just holding up a model of the body and there's a brain in the body just for fun and then i'm also going to hold up a model of the brain over here in a skull, it's not a real one. Okay, so it's a brain in a skull, just for those of you that are watching. For those of you that are listening, just think of your own skull, your brains in your skull. So that is your physical, that's physical. We can touch the brain, we can see the brain now with technology, but that is that brain, if you did, it's doing nothing, it's just disintegrating. So the mind is the active energy force that changes the brain because a dead person's brain is not changing but an alive person's brain is changing constantly so if you just take that basic 
concept, then that means that your aliveness is your mind. And your mind is this huge spiritual part of you. It's the spirit and the soul, if you want to look at it like that. It is, and it can be, and it can be divided into a conscious mind, which is awake when you're awake, and mm-hmm. then unconscious, N-O-N, not, not unconscious. Unconscious is when you have an anesthetic or you're knocked out with a baseball bat or something. That's unconscious. Non-conscious is the part of you that is active 24-7. It's the biggest mm-hmm. part of our mind. It's the most active part of our mind. It's kind of like 99% of who we are. It's the driving force and um, th- that works with your mind but your mind is the, the conscious mind is the smaller part so mind conscious awake when you're awake and non-conscious the biggest part that's awake 24 7 and that's the intelligence driving force that is all of our experiences are experienced through the combination of the non-conscious and conscious mind so right mm-hmm. now your non-conscious and your conscious mind are processing my words and the visual images if you're watching and all of those are sound waves and electromagnetic light waves you're hearing words you're seeing things but what you're hearing and seeing has got this electromagnetic quantum energetic electrochemical electromagnetic principles that are mm. in also gravitational fields so we know for example that we um, so there's this force and we know for example that we are sitting now and not floating because of gravity well we also know that hu- humans have a unique gravitational field around them as well so that unique gravitational field is an electromagnetic field that is that has principles that are unique to my particular body or your particular body. Now, when you and I die, that goes. It's no mm. longer that force is no longer detected, and that's what's moving through the brain and the body. So, on a on a physics level, it's this energy force. It's nothing weird. It's just pure. It's a thing that that similar to the the energy that is allowing us to talk over Zoom, but it's 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 specific to you as a human, and it's your ability to experience life. So, mind on if you look at mind as having this physics component, this electromagnetics and that kind of gravitational fields, and then look at it on a psychological level as your ability to think and feel and choose in response to the experiences of life. Wow. So right now, we're having an experience, we're having a conversation about mental health, mind, brain, neuroscience, neurology, all this stuff, whatever you've called it. And so that's the that's the sort of overarching thought tree that I would call it of what we're talking about. And, mm-hmm. and so that is that is the experience, the discussion. So in order to process that, we're using our mind. So my words are being received by your mind, your words are being received by my my mind and we've got all this electromagnetic stuff going on and that pushes it through the brain so there's this energy force that we pick up like that i use qeeg in my research and if you put a qeeg on someone you're picking up brain waves to the energy response to your thinking feeling and choosing which is how you experience life so in some language here's life and here are the experiences. At the moment, our experience is this podcast. From here, you may experience maybe dinner. From there, your experience may be getting ready for bed or walking your dog. Or So every experience is processed by mind. Think they'll choose into the brain. And as it moves into the brain, there's this magical, mystical, incredible thing that happens as mind hits physical brain and there we see an electromagnetic neurochemical and genetic response and what you are experiencing is converted through this relationship of mind and brain into actual thought trees in the brain so now i'm going to hold up my little famous tree that if anyone's been watching i'm always holding up these trees so you're building a thought tree in your brain um, of the experience a thought tree has roots and branches so this thought tree is about mind brain health or whatever you've called it but as i'm speaking and as you ask me questions and as we discuss, this is the source of this experience for people. So the source would be what I'm saying and what you're saying would be in the roots. The branches are your unique interpretation of what you're hearing or what you're experiencing. So that's the source and that's what you think and feel and choose about the source. And so as the conversation goes on, more branches grow there, then you interpret there, interpret. And all these are made of proteins and chemicals. And this grows as a result of mind processing what you're hearing and seeing into brain. And as a mind and brain connect, you then have this genetic response, these, all these responses. So the, my words and are held in little vibrations inside proteins, which make up these branches, lots of branches, wow. lots of memories. See, so there's lots of memories. Memories are inside the thoughts. One thought has hundreds, maybe thousands of memories, depending on how much, the more you think, the more memories you grow because that those are growing on the branches. So when you look at it like that, it brings a whole new vision to the picture. It's a whole different concept. And that now is what we drive. And that's always changing. So even over the years, if you've built something 
20 years ago or 10 years ago, a week ago, when you draw, when you, when it comes back into the conscious mind from the non-conscious, because it's conscious and non-conscious build it together into the brain, but then it mm-hmm. gets stored in the non-conscious. So you're not aware of every thought that you have built. You can't be because there's too many. We've got trillions of thoughts with trillions and billions of memories. So we are only conscious of what we need in the moment. And we draw on our existing memories to help us process the incoming information to build new memories. So this whole process is constantly going on and it's very, it's a very that's mind that's mind in action. It's not happening with mm. and it's have it has a product. This is the product. It's thoughts with 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 memories, with with these branches, all the little memories in it. So that's a healthy one. But over here, Chris, I've got a um an unhealthy thought, a toxic thought. This is also a <laughs> toxic thought that I hold up everywhere. So now we can see it's all wiry. So same thing, if you have a toxic experience, that's the roots. Think of COVID, the pandemic, all the things around COVID, that's all the political stuff, all the uncertainty, all the death, the, the financial loss, the, the, the isolation, the lockdown, everything. And then your interpretation, how this has affected your life. Then this is how we show up, anxiety, depression, concern all these different and how you know not coping overwhelmed etc so this produces the the outcome so if you want to know what you're thinking you've got to look at what you're doing what you're feeling what you're saying you know what your what's going on in your body what are your what's your perspective of life and then you can track back like a thought detective to find out okay what am i actually what is the detail of that right down to the root and that process then is basically what we can direct. So we can unpack these and we can rebuild them. We don't have to live. These don't have to be our future. We can actually oh. construct and reconstruct. And that's pretty much the essence of what I teach in all my books. <laughs> that's like the essence of that, how you can reconstruct and having, you know, thousands of memories within a thought. Do you <laughs> see it? I know you have seen this and even in like in my realm i deal with a lot of chinese medicine we talk about currents yes. and electromagnetic fields Very and about the, the 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 movement of electricity through the brain or through the body and how it creates higher field and when you talk about creating more programs or more memories with you know trapped in those thoughts do you see this pattern within healthcare and it's evident in your book and i want to start talking about your book about how um, individuals see that these memories um, and these thoughts have become such a detriment and they, they're starting to realize in, you know, even I say in the mainstream health field where yeah, yeah. they can see that they know that their thoughts literally can create, like you said, that pattern in their brain, that holding tank, and it can actually create those proteins and there's vibrations within them and whether they're positive or negative, that can create a toxic effect in their life. Um, I know you've seen that, but when you started to research this, how much more did you start to see it in the world? Like, I mean, like there was something that you needed to speak on and which is evident in your book. Was that just something that kept calling you knowing that it was happening out there? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, this, you, as you know yourself, this ancient, there's research going back to ancient literature and you talk about Chinese medicine and the East is much more advanced when it comes to understanding mind and the mind brain body react interaction, which is what, you know, I know that you and Josh, you know, you have incorporated that into your practices, which is amazing because it's talking about basic stuff. It's talking about our energy. It's nothing weird. And, you know, if someone is really the disturbed energy fields, this is, this, this creates tremendous disturbance. You know, an accumulation of these is going to increase the vulnerability of the brain and, and body between 35 to 98% to disease. So these wow. are because they go against our neurobiology, they go against our optimism bias, our wired full of nature. So yes, I've seen this in at least 150 years of modern science around this, the, the reaction between mind and brain, the impact of stress on the brain and the body. So there's a lot of research on it, but it's not it's not enough in the mainstream because in the mm. mainstream we've, we've really separated out the physical from the the mental, and it's it's unfortunate with the you know spiritual mental whatever it's the same thing it's this energy force it's mind that's why I like to use mind because it's a nice neutral term. Mm. Um, but we have separated that out, and it's all be, it's all become about what you can see and touch and feel. So when someone's in the, in a state of depression, they're looking for the neurobiological cause in the brain, but you're not going to find any cause in the brain unless of course. Course, you know, you have got a traumatic brain injury, you've got a tumor that can for sure um, impact on mind function, for sure. I'm not denying that. But in general, if that has been ruled out, there is not, it's, you're not going to find the cause in the brain. You're going to find the cause in the adverse circumstance that the person oh, wow. experienced, that they've then processed. And that adverse experience is, is, is energy fields that are distorted. And you know from your work, and we know from quantum physics, we know from electromagnetics, that if you distort an energy field, 
um, so someone screaming at you or someone abusing you, that's distorted energy fields that are impacting you. Then, and then there's the physical, obviously, as well, but that goes into your brain and you're wiring this into your brain. So it creates this disturbance but not only as soon as it's in your brain there's a message that goes to every other cell of your brain and body so there's 37 to 100 trillion cells of the brain and body so as soon as you experience this with your mind it goes into the brain as as the thought tree but then it also goes into the body which is what you're working a lot with if, I, if i'm correct every yes. cell of the body right down to the level of the telomeres and deep and i did work with telomeres which is super interesting which we can talk about is mm-hmm. impacted so that's why we have memory in our bodies that's why it's someone who's got ptsd and they record an event the whole body comes back that's why people do things like trauma yoga and why people do you know emdr it's to bring it out of the body activate the 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 thought in the brain and then work back into the mind so every experience that we have is stored in the gravitational fields of the mind as literal energy forces and the way i always explain this is if you're watching a podcast and you watch the little lines at the bottom you know how they go up and down as a person's Mm -hmm. talking any voice you know recording you can see that that's kind of what it is in the mind so in our mind we've got all these recordings of our of our thoughts with their memories very complicated but if they are toxic they disturb in your energy field which then disturbs everything in your body plus you've got so you've got it in your mind in the gravitational fields of your mind that experience and it's in your brain in the form of a protein and chemical thought tree and it's in your dna so here we've got three places and experiences experienced no wonder when we are triggered or we don't deal with our stuff our entire being is impacted so we have to work through the entire being you know when you talk about finding i mean things in the the base of the back or you know there's a lot where, where even your body where you're finding that tension and that kind of thing that's that's a clusters of, of toxic energy impacting not just from sports injuries but literally from our mind you know mind is as as power our mind is building these into the brain i often tell people a toxic issue is and i'm coming to the, the first the, your question i kind of built this in as a foundation is that people understand the COVID virus is a protein structure that's abnormal and our immune system sends out a response to counter it. Mm-hmm. But what people, T lymphocytes, B lymphocytes, macrophages, and even, you know, the, even the variants, the T lymphocytes are fighting them. That response we all get because we're talking about it all the time. But what mm-hmm. people don't talk about is the fact that your experience of COVID, I'm not talking about if you've had it or not, Let's say that you haven't had it. Everyone's global experience of the pandemic has also built into the brain as thought trees. So every human who's experienced the pandemic, which is all of us that are alive, are and have a toxic tree in their brain of the pandemic, the experience oh. of the pandemic. And that is a protein structure that's abnormal because these protein structures look different to these. So you get the same genetic and electromagnetic response, but the proteins fold incorrectly. And we all know from degenerative diseases, incorrectly folded proteins create a lot of problems. And yes. the vibrations are incorrect, the chemical balance is incorrect, all the balance is incorrect. This is going to generate through the whole body. And so that's what, so the immune system is sending out T lymphocytes, B lymphocytes, macrophages to the site, trying to deal with this. And we've got to wrap our heads around this. Your body is treating this toxic thought in the same way as it's treating a virus or a bacteria or damage in your body. And when you look at it like that, then we can think, okay, well, how can I repair that? And the power of thought is that your mind repairs it. You don't need medicine to repair these. You need your mind, your wise mind, to then capture these thoughts and embrace, process, and reconceptualize. The narrative of, of, of mental health is not that story that I've just told. The narrative of mental health is that, hey, anxiety's tripled in the pandemic. Yes, it has. But that doesn't mean that mental illness has tripled because men- mm-hmm. anxiety is not a mental illness. Anxiety is a massive, it's 99% of who you are, your mind. So if you've got anxiety in your mind, it's affecting 99% of who you are and wow. basically you know, more. But what we're talking about here is everyone has anxiety, mm-hmm. but we have a degree of, of sort of normal. So if you think of your uh, a number line, or a, or a scale and you have zero in the middle and you go from one to 10 on one side and you go from zero uh, from minus one to minus 10 on the other side, 
all of us are in the bell curve in general. So mm-hmm. on, for most of our life and on average, we hover between minus four, plus four when it comes to things like anxiety, depression, emotional responses. Mm-hmm. So if we have a bad email, we have a bad response, or that'll make us anxious and then we can have something good. And, but we kind of, bal- during the course of the day, we kind of balance it all out. But sometimes we don't deal with stuff and it accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. So suddenly what was it, a minus four that you were managing is now minus five or a minus six. In other words, it's accumulating. So it becomes extreme anxiety. Prior to the pandemic, people were already anxiety, extreme anxiety was on the rise and depression, all these things extreme, not as illnesses, but as responses. Always think of depression, anxiety, et cetera, as responses, not as illnesses, okay? Because they haven't ever been proven to be an illness. They Mm -hmm. are symptoms of an underlying cause. And if we look at them as just moving down the number line in an extreme state, it's incapacitating. When you get to seven, eight, nine, 10, you're incapacitated, but it doesn't mean that you are mentally crazy or that you are broken. It doesn't mean that's who you are. It means that your beautiful you has been impacted by a series of adverse circumstances that have hit you, knocked you down. But it doesn't mean that you are you are a broken that you you your identity is broken. It just means it's happened to you. So it's not a being. It's a doing. And so we need to, yeah, so we need to then deal with that. Whereas the current model is, no, it doesn't say anything like that. The current model says you have depression, lots, little checklists. If it's, you know, you fulfill a short little ridiculous checklist, there's no biomarkers. They're trying to get biomarkers. They've spent billions, they've never found biomarkers. And the language around the biomarkers and the science sounds very fancy, but it's not really saying anything because we haven't actually found a biomarker for mental illness. Really? And no, there's no biomarkers for mental illness because it's not an illness, it's a symptom. And that's the difference with cancer. There's an actual, you can actually, you can actually define it. You can actually identify with biomarkers, but, and and we've got into this, this model that you've got to give something a disease label to validate it. So I'm saying stop that because that in itself is invalidating. So some, if you listen very carefully, what I'm saying is that people use the current language is it's like diabetes. It's like cancer. You would never not treat cancer and diabetes. You would treat it. So why shouldn't you treat mental illness? That's not good thinking. It's not logical because mm-hmm. mental health is not, or battling with anxiety or something, is not the equivalent of diabetes. In fact, that's, that is actually stigmatizing to the anxiety. It's, it's actually invalidating the anxiety because you can't be anxiety. You can't have anxiety. You're experiencing it as a result of, it's a symptom of an underlying cause. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And instead of saying there is, a, there is this neurobiological marker and that's why you have anxiety, I am saying, which is what the current model says, and mm-hmm. certain symptoms that means you have something broken somewhere in your brain and there's something wrong with you and there's, there's here's a diagnosis and then here's the treatment, which is generally medication, maybe a bit of CBT, maybe some talk therapy, which is all, those are great that's to have some of that, but you still have this label and that locks you in. So initially you might think, okay, well, at least I know why I've got a reason for understanding how I feel. So there's an initial sense of, of, of oh, wow, this is great. The an initial sense of, of relief, but then, mm-hmm. Then what? What does clinical anxiety even mean? What is it? It's not an it. That's the issue. You can't define it because it's not an it. It doesn't have a biomarker. This depression is not a chemical imbalance. That was a theory that has never been proven. No scientist with a grain of salt should be saying it's a chemical imbalance. It's been disproven. Top scientists at top universities around the world agree that that is never, we shouldn't be talking about that. Yet it's a great marketing thing. And that's what the general public got told. You have depression, clinical depression, because you have a chemical imbalance. Take this tablet, it will restore your balance. But that's not actually what, what is what is happening. What's happened is that you are a human. You're an amazing human with this incredible brain and body, but you're in life and you've experienced adverse circumstances and they have accumulated and they've knocked you down that scale. So 99% of your mind, which is the 99% of you, your brain and body are the 1% of you, That your mind is experiencing these adverse circumstances. They've been grown in your brain and body and mind like I described and that's consumed, that's 99% of who you are is in pain. So just to whack on a disease label invalidates your pain, it reduces your pain to just the 1%. Meanwhile, it's 99% of what you're experiencing. It's in your face. It's consuming. So, and then it's it's not like you're ill. It's you feeling that because of you've gone through something. You have a narrative. So, if I have five people in front of me with clinical depression, I can't say you five have cancer. 
like you could say with cancer, I would say you five people that are, have the symptoms of, what are your stories? And you would hear five completely different stories. Mm-hmm. That's the narrative I'm trying to bring forth. That's what drives me, is to shift people away from trying to just lump it and say the cause is in the brain. The effect is in the brain and the body. And we see that, and I showed that with my research, and I wrote, wrote, wrote about it in the book, um, some of my clinical trials, where you will change, you will have increases in inflammation and cortisol and homocysteine and DHEA and will drop and, you know, you'll get, your telomeres will change. And But when you change your mind, those change too. So in other words, whatever happens to your mind will happen to your brain and your body as a response, as an effect. And as you manage your mind, you change that response. And that's the hope that I'm um, people. That's the, the hope. Like, I, I agree. Like when in, in Chinese medicine, you, I know you've heard this, that they'll talk about the Shen. The Shen is like the mind that is like the, um, the, its own, I don't even like to say enteric nervous system. It's not that it's just like they say that the Shen, the energetic uh, um, nice. evidence of mind, uh, it spills over into other areas. But like with the experiences that your mind perceives in Chinese medicine, they say, if it gets overwhelmed, then that can spill over and actually what it can actually, the body will respond by trying to accommodate to what the shin is experiencing and the body will start to pull and take energy from organ systems. Oh, my heart's a little overwhelmed. So I'm going to beat up on the stomach or spleen. And so you see that in Eastern medicine where they say, yes, if they say that all emotional traumas affect the shin, like that's the first step. And you see this correlation. I love that the, um, the correlation between Western science and Eastern medicine and when you see that, you see that, you know, the traumas are being built up in the body from those improper proteins being produced yeah. in the brain. Yeah. They, the book is so good. I have notes, guys. Uh, if you guys hear me, because she's brilliant. And so I've been, I was reading the book and I was taking down notes. Um, when, when you go through your steps, the five simple steps. So, guys, go get this book. This book has such good research. I can spend a day on four pages because I just, I just replay it. It's so good, Doc. I, I mean, truly. Very um, Thank you. Really with, with the idea of really like messy mind. I love these, these thoughts where it said like you talked about 35, you even said like 90% of health conditions like cancer or diabetes, heart disease uh, are caused by that toxic stress effect in the mind. Yeah. Now, I love the term mind management. That's what I loved when you talked about mind management and how you basically can uh, you put in terms like how if you came upon a a car crash, you could either be responding to it and trying to take care of it or just act as a bystander to the actual car crash. When you see people out, the people out there listening with this book, can we go over like if you can in in your nutshell, like uh, like the five simple steps, because I have them. I've written them down. I went through them. I actually started trying to practice these in the last three weeks, really like trying to get into getting them into my own practice. Um, Can we just go over them in the way you would like to, to show people how they can use literally this, I guess this proven method of rerouting of how, how, how they can change their mind and change their body. Is that too much to ask in one? No, no, no. We, we can definitely blend it into, into all the things that we've been saying. And I think what's great that I'm glad you mentioned about the Shen and the, the Chinese medicine, because it's essentially what I'm saying. I do a lot on um, the Eastern research. In fact, there was a fantastic um, study that came out of University of Texas and University of Tokyo just recently talking about the way that we respond to things like depression and anxiety will determine how we heal. So literally, you see in in the Eastern philosophy, which is not something you would know, when you look at those um, the, the signals of depression, anxiety, et cetera, as helpful messengers, as signals, as opposed mm-hmm. to a symptom of an illness. And um, when you look at it as a helpful messenger, telling you something about your body, about your brain, and about actually what's in, from your body and brain, about what's actually happening in your life. So it's about a life experience. Then you find that people, people then the body shifts 1,400 neurophysiological responses will start working for you instead of against you. So immediately mm-hmm. as you shift your mind into that mindset, you're going to have, for example, your blood vessels around your heart dilating. So you're going to have more oxygen and blood flow to your brain. And, you know, you're going to control hypertension. And, you know, they're just the downstream effect from just those two things alone is enormous. So the, the point being here is that we've got the first thing about the, the, 
the research I've done in, in the mind-brain connection and in helping people manage their minds is that you the, the, like the, there's a few overarching principles. If you don't mind, if I can explain those first before yes. I just dive into the five steps. So the first thing is to really look like like we see with um, not just Eastern philosophy, it's, it's East-West medicine. It is um, neuroscience showing that and I've shown this directly in my research that when you look at um, depression and anxiety and, and frustration and even huge things like disassociation and hallucinations and you know these scary things, if you look mm-hmm. at those frustration, all the emotions you can think of as warning signals, as clues to something that's going on in your life, immediately you shift your perspective. So the neurocycle that I've developed is a basic five-step system that I developed with a lot of these principles, pretty much as many principles around this kind of thinking in mind. But so I would sit with my patients and I would see that they, they were beating down, they were, their identities were broken, they were crushed, they saw themselves as useless. They saw the, and if someone's identity is crushed because mm-hmm. of years of not being able to cope with maybe learning issues or you know dementia setting in early or terrible traumas that have thrown you or a traumatic brain injury that's messed your mind up and messed your body up, and, and you feel and you keep getting told that you've got this illness you can't control. When you take hope away from people and you take the you crush their identity, that's when we see the deaths of despair. And we are in an era now, and I talk about this in the book, where mm-hmm. people are dying eight to twenty-five years younger than they used to from preventable lifestyle issues. So the 95% that you spoke about earlier on of diseases that are coming from these diseases that people are dying from, increased cardiovascular issues, autoimmune problems, et cetera, are, are basically how uh, our lifestyle and lifestyle are how we're managing what we're doing, how we are responding to everyday stuff, our stresses, the things, our work, family, um, COVID, life, exercise, that is all lifestyle. And that's all driven by your mind. Now think of it this way. I use my mind to decide what I'm going to eat and the mindset I'm in when I'm eating. If I'm eating a really great, organic, sustainable, local farm-to-table meal, but I'm, I'm not, I'm totally worked up about something that just happened at work, I could lose up to 86% of the nutrition, even though it's a what? great because our mind has messed up our digestive system. And that's that's we, amazing. Okay, yeah, keep going. Yeah, that's great, Doc. You can go to do a workout, but if you go with the wrong attitude, your DNA doesn't respond in the same way. You can lose a massive percentage, even up to as high as 90% of that workout. You know, so we don't think of mind in that way. We think of eating as a pillow. We think of exercise as a pillow. We think of, you know, nutrition as a, well, that's and the food. We think of uh, what's the third, you need spiritual, then they talk about mind. But that's wrong. It's mind first. Because mind is how you wake up in the morning, how you go to sleep at night. It controls everything. You are your mind. And when you are dead, your mind goes. These things weigh you down. When people die, there's a difference in their weight because mind goes. That thing goes that is energizing all these responses, that is enabling you to experience the responses. So when you look at it like that, when you look at that, and we see that for years we've been um, living longer, but this trend has been reversed, as I mentioned, because why? Because we've forgotten about our mind, because we've become so focused on the physical that we've, to the exclusion of the 99, 90 to 99% mind, we have to incorporate the entire, and I know you do that, and I know Josh does that, that's why we, we connect, because you've got to bring all those aspects back in, so mind is driving everything, think of it like this, you can go three weeks without food, you can go three days without water, you can go three minutes without oxygen, but you cannot even go three seconds without your mind working, when your mind stops, you are dead. So, therefore, our mind is always processing everything. From the time you open your eyes till the time you go to sleep, you, you process around about 8,000 to 10,000 events into your brain, body, and mind, like I explained. And they become physical structural changes, that neuroplasticity and the changes in your DNA and all that stuff in your mind. And those are, as, you, as you're experiencing life, like right now as I'm talking, I'm giving you new information, but I'm also some of it you know – your current existing memories are popping up as I'm talking. And that's, that's so in other words, every new memory you build is informed by existing memories. So there's a lot going on in your brain in any one day. If you don't manage that, it's a mess. And that's why I talk about cleaning up the mental mess. And a messy mind is also not a bad thing. It's okay to have a messy mind because a messy mind is an experimental mind. All of us are little scientists. As you wake up in the morning and you start experiencing life, you can't control the events that are going to 
that happened today, all the experiences, all the people. We don't quite know. You, you can predict because you've got a plan and you, you've got your routines and you've got people that are familiar in your life, but you still don't quite know how anyone's going to react in any one moment. According to mm-hmm. quantum physics, you'll be 70% incorrect. You only have a 30% accuracy rate, no matter how well you know the person. So you're going to be you know, 50 to 70% incorrect in your, in your probability. So that means that we don't know what's coming up. So it's experimental. You wake up, you're in a good mood, you read an email, now you're in a bad mood. You know, you because you it's your mind, your messy mind is processing and then you don't react, you know, you react automatically. That is okay. So hear what I'm saying. It's okay to experiment because, and that's part of our neurobiology. It's part of our psychoneurobiology, mind, brain, body. Psychoneurobiology, mind, brain, body. The messy mind is normal. It's how we learn. It's a mess. But what we've got to do and what we're not doing enough of and talking about enough of is managing that mess. That's why I've gone about mind management. So it's okay to snap and get mad and get react. Listen to what I'm saying. You can get mad and react, but you're not supposed to stay there. So if you see, oh gosh, I got mad and I reacted, overreacted to a comment someone made to me in my family or something. Mm-hmm. It's okay to do that, but it's not okay to stay there. What we should be doing is regulating that, mind managing and saying, okay, I have just said an ugly word. I've upset that person. I'm observing myself. I'm observing the reaction, the impact. Now, let me fix that. Let me take that mess and let me repeat so that I can grow so that I don't do that next time. And then that's how we're supposed to be running our lives. Mm. We're supposed to be giving ourselves permission to be messy, but to constantly grow and repeat, grow and repeat. But what we've done with our current model is you said, you're a mess and if you can't fix the mess, no time to grow and repair. We're just going to give you a label for your mess and you just stay in your mess and you just need medicine. And, you know, and, and even therapy, sometimes people get stuck in cycles of therapy where they don't progress forward. And there's, there's a lot of research showing that you can go into meditation and mindfulness meditation. It brings stuff up because as soon as you start self-regulating, you're going to start bringing up these things from the unconscious. But if you're just aware you don't manage them, you're going to get worse. The science shows that. Just bringing something up into awareness is not going to help. And if you get very still and you have these thoughts start moving up, which is what they will do, it's the nature of the of neuroscience and of the mind-brain connection. You get you 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 go you switch off and you switch on to your internal, you're going to start bringing stuff up. It's the nature mm-hmm. of how you are. Now, if you don't know what to do with what you brought up and you shove it down, it goes back even worse than before. And these are volcanic in nature that they will explode. So you can't suppress stuff. It doesn't just, it, you could suppress, but it won't say suppressed forever. These things are alive and living. Think of them as a, as a, as in a, think of these as huge forests of an unconscious mind. It's being a massive, massive forest. And the unconscious mind is this huge forest. And through the middle of the unconscious mind is this mm-hmm. beautiful green strip. And that's a wise mind. On the outside is the messy mind. So it's little green trees and big green trees and these blocks of these toxic looking dark trees. And every single tree is a thought with its thousands or hundreds or hundreds of thousands of memories of every experience that you've had since a certain point in the womb to the age that you're at today. So all of that is this massiveness of you. And what's happening is that all that messiness, which comes from experimentation of the messy mind, is linked into the wise mind. But what we're not doing enough of is developing the wise mind. So tuning into that wisdom. And, and people might say, I don't have wisdom. Everyone has wisdom. We, it's, it's, it's our wide for love nature. It is our survival mode. It is our, like right now, you and I are totally in our wise mind because we're discussing philosophically quite difficult concepts. Mm-hmm. You today, I'm sure, gave advice to a lot of your patients that came and told you this and you said, okay, well, you try this or that and you gave them some emotional advice. I know because that's how you practice medicine, how you practice in your field because you bring in ancient medicine. So you do on your wise mind the entire day to advise people. So all of us have that, but we are very good at using it on other people. We don't use it on ourselves enough. We need mm. to be introspective and self-regulated and mind-managed because your mind never stops. So we've got to start training ourselves to stand back and observe ourselves and watch the messy mind so that we can repair and grow. Give ourselves permission to be messy, but then repair and grow. And that's where, that's where the neurocycle comes in. I mean, I've said a lot. Do you want to dive in? Oh, no, that is, that's, I, I think it's such a great correlation. I, like sometimes in the office, Doc, there, um, we talk about how when you said that you can, you can get angry, you can feel like, you know, these thoughts are making you depressed, but you don't stay there. And that's what I love about the beauty of the book, because in the office, they, they talk about Chinese medicine. They'll say, well, an organ or certain parts of the organ or certain organs are supposed to process certain types of emotions. The, the general uh, principle is, is if you strengthen 
strengthen the organ, you should process any emotion that you're feeling. Let's say it's grief that's locked up in the lungs or sadness. You need to experience it and grieve it. But if you have it, if you're in the wise mind, like if you've trained your body to understand that this is a thought and you should let it process through. So many times people don't have the energy or the electrical activity. Uh, they haven't trained their, the, the wise mind to recognize it. And so they hold on to it. And exactly. I, I think that's a, a beautiful way that you've correlated that within the principles of the book. And I think that many people, when they read this book, like the techniques that you incorporate um, show that people can do this on their own. Like this is done through tons of research from your book. I can't believe how much research you've done. It's, it's quite a bit. Um, the steps when you just talked about them, how do you like you're talking about embracing? There's a few like common um, becoming aware. Can you touch on that just for a little bit? Absolutely. too? Absolutely. So sorry. I gave you a long, a long. No, I love it. I was enthralled. This was just great. No, thank you. The reason I do that is we such a quick fix mentality. And, you know, it's like you tell someone five steps and think, okay, quick fix, because we've trained people in this toxic positivity wellness movement that we live in the technological age. It's give me a quick, pull, quick five steps and it's over. It's not. It's going to take you your entire life to manage your mind. Your mind never stops. You go to bed with your mind, you wake up with your mind, as I said. So this mind management using the neurocycle is how we manage ourselves in between therapy, in between um, counseling, in between um, work. It's at work. So you're always with your mind. So it's how you manage your mind. You wake up with your mind and you've got these crazy ruminating thoughts. What do you do? You manage your mind. So mm -hmm. mind management is the concept. It's a self-regulated process. And the system that you use is the neurocycle. So it's had 38 years of research, intensive neuroscientific psychoneurobiology research. We have worked out specifically when you do this, then that happens in the brain and the body. So in mind, brain, and body. So there's even a table on page 189, I think it is, we have put a table together to show people the five steps and what they're doing. It's a, it's a basic table just so that people know when I do step one, this is what it is. And that there's the brain response, the body response, the mind response. So people get into the, uh, it sort of get into the thinking of the fact that there's mind brain body and so each step is then doing different things so it's not like this was just whipped out of the hat it's also done sequentially because it's been designed through years of therapeutic application and application in different environments different populations different cultures so it's cross-cultural there's no this is just this is humanity this is a tool this is a system not a tool it's a system for basically humans managing their mind and and mind is what we live life with so we need it organized and into that you can fit any therapy any technique any application it's just basically setting you up so that your mind is working in a way that they can actually benefit from what you say so like even your patients coming to you you're giving them incredible amount of information they need to use the neurocycle to make sure that they actually process and build that into their brain as dr Motley's advice you know, for life, they should be. So every time they come to you, there's, there's new, you teaching them stuff and you, you teaching them stuff about their body and the connection and they interpreting that and they should be building on that in order to apply that. Otherwise, it's just not going to do anything. They're not going to make any changes. So mind is even involved there. It's involved with eating. It's involved with exercise. So the five-step process of the neurocycle, but all that history, it's sequential. Each step is taking you deeper and deeper into pulling the two sides of the brain to work together, increasing your ability to introspect, activating the different parts of the brain to be able to function well, to call on the different parts of the body. You talk about like the lungs, processing through the lungs, et cetera, that concept of different emotions in different organs. Basically in our brain, we've got 200 different specializations and those are unique. Yours are different to mine, which enables you to do something that I can't do, which is how we have been created because we are supposed to enhance each other, not compete. I can't ever compete with you because there's something you can do that I can't do and if I support and lift you you enhance me I increase my own intelligence we don't live in a world like that we live in a world that's totally distorted it's all about competing you're a threat to me survival of the fittest I need to beat you that's messed us all up so badly. That's another reason why people are so stressed, heart attacks, et cetera, et cetera. So the neurocycle teaches you to shift that perspective. It's not about competition. It's about enhancement. It's about me recognizing the power that is in me and how that can enhance others because it's not just about me. It's about me in the world. And we mm -hmm. talk to think I, 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 and research shows that if you constantly think of me, myself, and I, you increase your chance of cardiovascular issue by 42% in the next 12 months. You know, so there's 
tons of science talking, backing up all these things. So essentially, the NeuroCycle then has got all this philosophy behind it and all these scientific principles and applications. And it's you coming in, accepting your mess, accepting that it's okay, accepting that depression, anxiety, any signal that you have that's emotional is okay. It's fine. It's, and I embrace it. So this is massive. The overarching principles are I accept and I embrace. Embrace, mm -hmm. I'm bringing it into my fold. And I process. So once I've got it, I've got to now do something with it. And then I've got to actually convert it. I've got to change it. I've got to reconceptualize it. I've got to see it in a different way. Because you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change what's in you. Mm -hmm. So like COVID's happened to all of us. The pandemic in, affected us in different ways. So we can't change that, but we can change how this is going to play out in my brain. I don't want that in my brain about COVID. I have changed this through work to make sure that it doesn't impact how I function in the future. So oh, I just yeah. COVID experience happened, but the way it affects me, I've had to change. And like all of us, and so that's basically what the principle is here. You've got to embrace. You, if you push away or suppress, you actually change it. So think of the forest. So here are the five steps. Think of the forest and think of you being in an airplane or a helicopter, or a time machine, because we never just operate in the present. We always operate in the present, past, and future. Like right now, we're doing that. I'm talking now in the present, but you're using past experiences to process what I'm saying, and oh. you're thinking of how you're going to apply this in the future. Oh. So you're operating in three times, all, all times, we beyond space and time. So you right. can never just be in the present, never. We're always in the present, informed by the past and the future. And that's important. So I always like to think of a little time machine. And you're flying through the time machine. And you're flying through this forest, which is your mind, your unconscious mind. Every experience as trees. And you're flying over green trees and dark trees. And there's the strip of, through the middle. And that's the one you want to really connect with. So you've got a question, first of all, am I really connected with my wise mind? Or am I so busy being messy and busy that I'm feeling overwhelmed? If you're constantly feeling overwhelmed and burnt out and like life's just too much, and that's maybe 80% of your day, you're not connecting to your wise mind. So it is very important that you pull back and take 15 to 45 minutes a day and apply the neurocycle in cycles of 63 days because that's the amount of time it's going to take you to train yourself to identify these patterns in your life one at a time one thought pattern at a time with all of its memories and one thought pattern could have a thousand memories ten thousand memories you want to work on one at a time in a very disciplined way over cycles of 63 days because that's what i've shown from my research how long it takes to change a, a behavior in other words to build a habit doesn't take 21 days it takes 21 days to find and reconceptualize the toxic thought embrace process and reconceptualize it takes around about 21 days to do to do that process but then you have to stabilize this to impact behavior change and that takes another 42 days so there's two phases there's the building phase sort of embrace process reconceptualize and then there's the stabilizing phase and as you finish one cycle you do another one and another one and another one so it's these cycles of you just never stop because your mind never stops because all of us experience trauma different degrees of trauma like every adverse experience is a trauma and there's extreme trauma and then there's the little traumas but all of them need to be managed every let someone say someone yells at you when you walk out of this podcast that's a mini trauma how are you going to manage yourself your initial reaction is shock and getting mad or whatever and then that's if you keep that that's going to build up and become a toxic issue that's a threat to your body like i explained with the immune system so you want to change all of those so mm -hmm. then think of the time capsule and think of and i'm going to give this like i've given a lot of um sort of philosophy but if you don't get this right this attitude and mindset it just won't work as well for you and that's what i've shown with my science you've really got to come in with this very accepting attitude so in the Time capsule is the pilot and the co-pilot. And the pilot is you, messy mind, flying the plane through life and getting the waking up in the morning and you're flying yourself through the day. The co-pilot is your wise mind who's got the lay of the land, who's advising the pilot and giving that, mm -hmm. got that advantage of being able to not just get stuck in the messiness of life, but actually get the bigger picture. So you want the two to work together. So your wise mind, your, your messy mind's flying over the forest and you keep seeing this, this tree that's got all these smoke signals because this is an issue in your life and you keep avoiding it. You've been avoiding it and avoiding it. It's getting bigger and bigger and it's starting to infiltrate and grow roots and infiltrate other areas of your life and you're seeing it affecting relationships and physically in your body. So eventually you say, okay, I give up. I, I give in. 
I am going to land my plane at that toxic clump, clump of memories, that thought tree with its memories, and I'm going to actually do something about it. So that's the neuroscience. You, you start the concept. You come in and you land your plane. You make the decision. You choose to actually start working on this. It's not mm -hmm. going anywhere until you work on it. It's just going to get worse. So you land the plane. You get out of the out of the time machine. You and the co-pilot, and you go into you language. You don't say I. You're going to you because that will draw the wise mind. It's so much easier to advise other people than ourselves. We're great at giving advice. We're terrible at taking advice. So going to <laughs> the whole lot of neurophysiology that happens when we say. You're vacuum today. You have depression as opposed to I, Caroline, am depressed. I feel broken. Rather say you feel broken. You feel depressed. I used to take, tell my patients, take two chairs, put them next to each other, sit in one and talk to yourself in the other. You now the therapist. You now the wise mind. You the co-pilot. Talk to the pilot. And it's those kind of things where you, and that creates change in neurophysiology. Just that alone has changed 1,400 neurophysiological responses to work for you and not against you, which is increasing lifespan, increasing brain health, increasing resilience. So we don't talk enough about this. It changes your telomeres. Your telomeres are, your, are the ends of chromosomes, which you know, but for those that don't know, chrome, I'm making a little cross with my fingers for the listeners, mm -hmm. and my fingernails would be the, fingers would be the little cross would be the chromosome, and my fingers would be the fingernails would be the telomeres. Now, telomeres are, it's a new area of research and I've done research in this area and telomeres are considered a proxy for mental health, for mind management. Yes. You're not managing your stress and you're not managing the stressors of life. Your telomeres get short. Why is that important? Well, they're very involved in cellular division, cell division and reproduction of cells. You make a million plus new cells every second. So your whole body keeps replacing itself. So therefore, if your mind's a mess, your telomeres are a mess, your cells that you're building are a mess, which means your body is a mess. And over time, cumulatively, you increase your vulnerability to disease by 35 to 98%. So essentially, this, this, this is why it's so important that you understand the whole physiology. So when you land your plane, you're shifting that. You, you, you're putting your telomeres in a prime state to actually now start strengthening. I showed in my research, and I put the case studies in the book, of how in the nine weeks, people actually went from having totally short, broken telomeres, which meant that their cell health was so weak, which meant that their biological age, the age of the of your organs, it was was sometimes 35 years to 40 years older than the actual chronological age. Wow. Like you in your 30s, which I think you assume you are, or late 20s, then, and you have a body of a um, sickly 65-year-old, you're not going to feel very good. You're in that vulnerable age to potential, I'm not saying that you, but I'm talking about in general now, if one is in your mid-30s and you have a 65-year-old sick body, you've just increased your chance of dying 15 to 25 years younger or eight to 25 years younger. If you have a mental health label on top of yeah. that, you're pretty much in dying in the category of dying 20 to 25 years younger. So, I mean, this is kind of, this is serious, but you can shift, this is mind stuff. This yeah. knowledge, this philosophy, this landing, this is all mind work. This is the wise mind. I'm going to land my plane. I'm a co-pilot, pilot. And then you know, all of this is mind. That, that message, that seeing the, Morning signals as messengers, helpful messages, embracing all of this is mindset that you said. It's all mind work. It's all mind management. In the nearest, that's all the preparation. Then you land the plane and you need to do a teeny bit of preparation for your brain. Um, like, and then you can do some deep breathing or some tapping or something that is going to just get your neurochemistry in place. And I give a lot of techniques in the book. I also have an app, by the way, Chris, called the NeuroCycle app, which is available on iTunes and Google Play, which walks you through. I literally give you therapy. I walk you through. Yeah, yes. I'm going to use that for all my patients. Keep going. I'm listening. This is so good. I'll give you the link for that because that is so many clinics and therapists around the world are using that. So the patients will work with it. And then in, in when they see you, you're just basically supporting the process. So they, because you, I can't fix you. You can't fix anyone. We can yeah. only fix ourselves, but we need support. So that's the principle operating. So the whole, new, everything I'm telling you is in, in the app and the book. Okay. Yeah. So the app really walks you through it. So then you land your plane. And the first thing, you, the five steps are gathering awareness, reflecting, two steps of writing, and then an act of reach. And the gathering, every word has been selected to create brain differences to get the two sides of the brain working together to get the different brain waves working together to get your body physiology working together get the telomeres working taking you deeper and deeper gathering awareness is now when you would actually then look you've landed your plane and you look at that tree and as the word gather implies you're in control 
It's not like you're standing under an apple tree and all the apples are falling on your head. It's often how we do life we, or how we think we must fix everything. Just get it all, get it all. It's too much. We can't do that. So what you want to do in the first step is gather awareness. Now, remember, you're doing this over over 20 of the first five steps. I mean, the, sorry, the, the first 21 days, you do all five steps. Mm-hmm. The second 42 days, you only do step five. Okay, so the, there's a lot of more time involved in the first 21 mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. If you do that alone, you won't have the same impact. You won't change behavior. You'll just right. know when you ask. You have to do the full cycle. The second phase where you only do the first step only takes a minute or so, seven minutes max a day. So it's nothing. And all of it's built into the app to remind you, the reminders pop up and everything to remind you to do this stuff. Okay, so basically gather. Gather it means that I walk into the apple orchard and I choose that apple. You go apple picking and I put it in my basket. I choose that apple. I put it in my basket. That's what I mean by gather embrace, choose, do it in controlled amounts. Don't try and fix it all in one day. If on day one you only pick up one apple, that's fine. Tomorrow you can pick another apple. Rome wasn't built in a day. That's the concept. So mm-hmm. you you control. You don't go under the apple tree and it will fall on your head. You stand back and gather awareness. What do you gather awareness of? The emotional signals like depression, anxiety. What are you, so what you say to yourself, what are you feeling? Gather awareness of that. So what, is it, what is the emotional signal? What is your, what are you feeling? Depression, frustration. It's all I can think of today. Put two apples in your basket, done. Now what behavioral signals? What are your behaviors? What are you doing? What are you saying? Maybe more withdrawn than normal. Put that apple in your basket. What are your physical responses in your body as you look at this toxic tree? Gut ache, terrible gut ache. You know, you talked about the energy being shifted from, okay, so terrible gut ache, heart palpitation. Put those apples in your basket. Mm-hmm. And then you stop. So you spend two or three minutes on that. Then you move to the next step, which is deep reflection. Reflect is the most beautiful word. If, if you shine a white light through a prism, it comes out on the other side as multiple colors. That's mm-hmm. the depth of light. Your signal you've just co- collected, that depression, has depth to it. It has a whole story. You want to reflect on that. You want to ask, answer, and discuss, and find the why behind the depression. And that in itself is phenomenal, an exercise that you do the second step with each signal. So you do what you can. If you only, you know, you limit the time, you don't go beyond 45 minutes. You can do as little as seven minutes. That's the time frame. The reason you don't go beyond 45 is because it's too emotionally draining and you're not, mm. you can't fix it all in one day. Your brain is limited in energy. You still got to go through the rest of the day. So you keep this tooth. I do generally when I'm getting ready in the morning. Anyway, then you basically write down what you've gathered and reflected. But the first step of writing is a, is a it's called metacogging where you, arrange things on a piece of paper that it's not, you don't just write words in lines, you write them in patterns starting from the center. So it looks like a tree, literally looks mm. like, and like branches are all connected. You have lines connecting with words on it. So it's very messy. And the idea is to literally do a brain mind dump where you get it out as fast as you can. So you've been very stimulated by gather and reflect. Now you pull this on paper and it's messy. It's difficult to do in the beginning, but persist. It's one of the most powerful things um, as you do this the step to get down and to dig those reasons out and to help you do process. That's a mm-hmm. phenomenal step for pro- every single patient in every therapy I would take through these steps. And the medical, we would have people that had multiple personalities just through the metacogging, um, change and find and see and have breakthroughs and uh, transform lives. And people resisted initially because it's hard work, but yeah. when you do it, it is phenomenal. And we're building, we've already got a little video on the app, but I'm building in more programs to teach people like literal workshops on how to get into the metacogging because it's phenomenal. So that's step three. Step four is then you go in and sort out the messy metacog. What does it mean? What are the patterns? What are the antidotes? What are the, and then the step, first step is an action step. So I can learn this today. And now what have I learned today? Maybe all you learned today was I am depression. I, I came in thinking I was depression and I am withdrawn and I, my body is aching everywhere. Maybe that's all you got out of today. And, and then in the first gathering, and then you reflected and you found a little bit more in that recheck as you go through the four steps and you then learned that actually I'm not depression. I'm depressed because of, and this aching in my body is because that mind brain connection or something like that. So you, what have you learned? So you gather that together and you create a statement and you type that statement into the app if you're using it, or you write it down on a piece of paper, wherever you want. And then that's what you practice during the rest of the day. It's an active anchoring of what did I learn today? Because our mind is so used to going down this route um, mm-hmm. and our brain, it's got into this loop, the mind, brain, body, that um, whatever's had the most attention has grown. So you want to start breaking that 
that had the most attention. What it takes for taking the energy away and weaken that pathway. And the active reach is how you do it. You, for every time you want to ruminate and go back to that sad thing, you say, no, I've done my work for today. And you force oh. yourself to think of the active reach. So that now is weakening this and removing the energy. And that is never lost. As you know, energy is never lost. It's transferred. So you transfer it to this. And that's pretty much what's... What you do. That's just a quick overview. And the book is filled with how to use it for toxic trauma, toxic habits, acute traumas, um, the habits that you want to break, habits you want to build. I mean, there's lifestyle issues in the moment stuff. There's tons of examples. And in the app too, there's tons of examples. I would, I would say like, I'm definitely not exaggerating. I'm going to suggest this to all my patients. I think that I know that uh, your time's valuable. Thank you so much. I just, I'm so thankful guys. I just want to make, remind everybody, get this book because um, not only does it, does she give you like the research of why you experience what you experience, but gives you steps to actually solve it. And many times you'll see a lot of techniques out there that are emotional or mental or neuro technique or not even techniques, but they just give you information, but don't tell you how to. And having that reminder on app, I'm going to download it and I will tell my patients to get this. And um, real quickly, I just want to tell you a really quick story as a, as a, um, a, a pat on the back, I guess, or cheering you on. I have patients that come in many times and I've had some that have come in to the point where they'll have like a chronic shoulder issue or chronic hip problem. And, um, they will come in and I do my, my check on them. And some of them progressively really gotten really better. And so I'll ask them like, what was the changing, uh, effect? And I had a lady today come in today and she was like, I've been going through Dr. Leaf's program to help me restructure. And now she's like, it's a totally different person. It's almost like, instead of like trying to, like you said, identify as the problem, they go, I know that came from this is still trying to process out of my body. And it's not a victim mentality anymore. It literally is like you just said, there's hope. It's like, I, I, my body suffered through this or my mind is like, but I just, it's going to take me a while. And I love the fact that you just said it's a lifetime process and anybody that um, can recognize and be aware of that is a step ahead. So we really are so thankful that we talked about the mind. We're talking about your book, which is phenomenal. And um, just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time and being on the, on the show. We really appreciate it. Josh sends his best. He says that uh, he's wish he could be here. And um, I thank you again for, for joining me and just give me the privilege of meeting with you and just talking with, I was enthralled. I am enthralled. I've got to study more about neuroscience and thank you for shedding your wisdom on us. I really appreciate it, doc. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that as well. It's been so good talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that lovely story. That's wonderful. Oh, uh, and one more thing, doc, where, I know you, people know you, but if people who don't know you, how do they find you? Where do they, where can they go? So my social, my social media handles are Dr. Caroline Leaf. So if they go to Instagram, Facebook, whatever Instagram, as you know, takes you everywhere. Um, my web page is drleaf.com. The book's available wherever books are sold, also on my website, the Neurocycles at Google and iTunes. And I have a podcast called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. So, oh, that's amazing. Um, there, there's lots of help there. So we can send you all those links. And Although I will. I will I'll send them out and make it, that'd be great. And guys, check it out. Check out our website. I checked it out. A lot of good information. It makes me envious how good our website is. So guys, get, get some more wisdom by listening to Dr. Leaf. Thank you again, Dr. Leaf. We appreciate you having you, having, uh, you on the show. And uh, everybody, check her out. Thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, Josh sends his best. Once again, have a great night, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure to go to my recent Instagram post and let me know what your favorite part of the show was. Also, don't forget to follow me at Dr. Josh Axe there on Insta, where I cover the latest health trends, natural medicine, and so much more. Also, if you're loving this podcast, do me a big favor, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Thanks so much for being on mission with me. See you next week. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. In some cases, individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein.